So I'm here today to preach for the reign of Christ Sunday. And I told everyone on staff that I was adamant that we celebrate this holiday in style. Um, this final Sunday in our church year, moving us to Advent, was so important to me because I wanted to celebrate Christ's power on earth and heaven as Lord of all. As we turn to anticipate Christ's first breath in Bethlehem, today we are reminded of his last breath on the place called the Skull. But as I looked over the text for this week and was pondering it in my heart, I have to be honest with you all. Despite feeling very clear that we have to celebrate the reign of Christ, I have no idea what the kingdom of God is. Now, maybe I struggle with this concept because I was a political science major in undergrad, and I worked in the government for a year and a half. So, oh, yeah, right, I mean, anyway, that's a whole other story, a whole other life. But all this talk about kingdoms makes me think about monarchies, and is the kingdom of God a constitutional monarchy, like in England, or is there a congress of the saints, and do we elect them, and do we have a prime minister to go alongside King Jesus, all of this stuff that is not actually important and has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. For the kingdom of God is not a political utopia, but a lived reality that is continually drawing near. Even today, we may catch a glimpse of this kingdom that is so vital to understanding God's divine forgiveness overflowing on earth. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, Truly I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. What is the kingdom of God? And to what shall I compare it? 
This is a question asked by Jesus that reverberates throughout each gospel, throughout his teachings, and throughout his ministry. What is the kingdom of God? As Jesus travels throughout his ministry, Luke reminds us repeatedly that he is going to proclaim the kingdom of God. For Jesus, the reign of God is near, just out of sight, and everyone needs to receive that good news and be healed. Those two cannot be separated. Wherever Jesus goes to proclaim the kingdom, he heals. And wherever he heals, he proclaims the reign of God to come. Not only Jesus' work, but his words focus on the kingdom. The Beatitudes begin with a blessing to the poor who will inherit the kingdom. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught us, we pray that thy kingdom come. And countless parables mention the kingdom. If I don't really understand what the kingdom is like, at least I'm in good company. Jesus' disciples and the crowds who followed him struggled to comprehend what this divine, royal reality would be like. I get the sense that Jesus keeps having to go back to square one with this concept, creating parable after parable about the kingdom, because people just still aren't getting the picture. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. Or the kingdom is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed in with 60 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. It is clear that the reign of God, whatever it may be, is not yet a reality on this earth, though we may catch glimpses of this glorious reign. We may not be able to hold on to the branches of the mustard seed tree, but we see them in the horizon. We may not knead the dough of the kingdom of God, but we smell the bread baking in the oven. I don't know what the kingdom of God is, but I know what the kingdom of God offers. The fruits of the kingdom are tasted on earth by those who experience Jesus and his ministry. These fruits are healing and salvation. The Greek word sozo means to save, but it also means to heal. Salvation becomes not a thing for our souls and the promise of some beautiful afterlife, but healing and restoration in this life. There is healing abundant for those who need it. There is salvation proclaimed from the first chapter of Luke to the last. Healing and salvation go hand in hand as Jesus travels to tell all of the good news of the kingdom. The salvation Jesus as king offers is salvation in this life. It is healing of our bodies, 
our relationships, and our communities. But that salvation was misunderstood. As we turn to the passage today, this perverse coronation on the cross, three times Jesus is mocked and told to sosen seotan, to save himself. But that's not why Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came to earth. In the very first chapter of Luke, it is prophesied that Jesus will bring knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. And here, in the 23rd chapter, that prophecy is fulfilled. Jesus is told to save himself but his prayer on the cross brings salvation for others through forgiveness. Jesus stays true to his ministry to the end, offering healing and salvation hand in hand as his hands are nailed to the cross. Father, forgive them, he prays, for they do not know what they are doing. The King of Kings offers forgiveness to those who are murdering him. Can you imagine any modern ruler behaving in this way? Or anybody, really? Sometimes Jesus' sayings are so familiar to us, they cease to be surprising. But this is radical, royal divine forgiveness being offered up. Jesus forgives, for this royal ruler knows what his subjects need. The Romans centurions needed forgiveness. Those who mocked him needed forgiveness. And the criminal who petitioned Jesus to be remembered needed forgiveness. I cannot imagine what crime this man committed to think he deserved such a torturous death as crucifixion. I don't think any crime deserves that. Perhaps the criminal needed to forgive himself and so reached out to the one who proclaimed such amazing forgiveness by his side. As he asks in that poignant petition to be remembered by the king of the Jews, the criminal does not call him Lord or Sir or King or Messiah. He simply says, Jesus, remember me. He recognizes Christ as King, but reaches out to him with his first name as a friend. And in doing so, he receives the promise of paradise. For this king of ours is unlike any other king. He does not sit on a throne pronouncing judgment, but is among us on a cross, declaring mercy and forgiveness. When I was a child, I took very seriously the words pronounced by the pastor during communion. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness 
of sins. And as I went up to receive communion, I would play a little game in my head. After taking the bread and wine, I would go to my seat and try to remain as sinless as possible in the pews. Because I was forgiven, right? And I wanted to stay forgiven as long as possible. So I would try not to think bad things or be bored or anything that I thought would like reverse the effects of communion and put me back to square one. Now, that was a flawed understanding of a lot of things, including sin and communion, but especially God's forgiveness. In my adolescent fear, I expected punishment from a king instead of forgiveness from a friend. As our church year ends and Advent begins, I know that I am in need of forgiveness. And I'm not the only one here who needs that prayer from the cross spoken for them. Jesus forgives you all. This message is almost banal in its simplicity. How often have we heard that Jesus forgives us? Even today, we hear of God's forgiveness in our confession and absolution. But we have confession every Sunday because we need forgiveness every day. So as we turn to new beginnings, I invite you to feel that forgiveness deep in your bones. That forgiveness that is salvation. That forgiveness that is healing. The words from the cross are spoken for you. Forgive them, our king says, and we are forgiven. That is not a one-time declaration of royal pardon, but an ongoing act of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And to what shall I compare it? The kingdom of God is like a ruler without a throne room, a king with a crown of of thorns, royal robes gambled away. It is like a king who prays for his subjects who are killing him. It is like a ruler who in his own pain promises paradise to a man condemned by the world. The kingdom of God is like a man who knew what kind of king he had beside him, a king whose royal reign was one of forgiveness. The kingdom of God is like a criminal who dares to call that king Jesus. And in doing so, I think he understood the kingdom of God better than I ever will. Amen.